Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Jote Maniac, and today, DM Chris and I are having a returning guest, none other than Mackenzie DeArmas, because we are starting a brand new series. How it's taken us this long to think of it, I have no idea, but today we are going to start a new series called Treasure Horde, where we go and we take a look at a magic item through the history of D&D. Maybe it's new, maybe it's old, maybe it's somewhere in between, but today we are going to hearken to none other than the deck of many things, because that has had one of the largest facelifts that a magic item could possibly have. And we have Mackenzie on because she helped do that process. But before that, dear patrons, the first episode in the actual play series that you all voted on has come out. It's actually a kingdom episode, building the world collaboratively together. And the next one is just around the corner. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. Hey, uh, we are really excited for uh, the meat of this episode. We have uh, a special friend with us who has been with us before. Uh, you may recognize his name. Mackenzie DeArmas is here with us. Uh, she is ready to rock and roll. She has a long list of things she's been involved in in the D&D community from game designer for Dungeons and Dragons, world builder for Critical Role, voice of Astera in Chaotic Disabled, and so much more. Uh, but Mackenzie, we are so excited to have you back on the Dungeon Masters block with us today to talk about... Well, well, we'll get to that in a minute. What We may have already said it in the intro. We probably said it in the intro. We're going to talk about the deck of many things. It's but we want to get to know you a little bit before uh, we jump into all of the fun that can be had with that crazy thing. So a bold choice to be sure. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So can you tell us just a little bit about yourself that maybe we didn't cover or things that you're really proud of um, about what you get to do every day? Uh, yeah. So uh, I work over at uh, up in the Wizard's Tower at Wizards of the Coast, uh, helping write all the wonderful books that D&D publishes, uh, which is absolutely amazing. And God, there's so many things that I just want to talk about all the time uh, that are just silly little minutia of like, oh, look at this one thing I made and now it's going to be out in the world. You mentioned Asteria earlier. Uh, it is something that I'm really proud of to say that I helped helm uh, her creation. She's the first canonically and proudly openly autistic character that we've introduced into the D&D canon as a big a big shot adventurer. Uh, and I got to be her voice, write her story, author all the little notes in the book. Uh, she appears in the Book of Many Things, uh, which is going to come out. Uh, it's out already uh, online on D&D Beyond, but the physical release will be happening soon. Uh, and it's just it's been such a good ride. It's been one heck of a year and I'm so glad to be back. And we're we're glad to have you back. I love almost all of the but I know it's sometimes it's a, a topic of debate back and forth of like having mm -hmm. the notes. And I feel like it's such a good addition to the books, like having the note of the. Audit. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. I know. Dear listener, if it bothers you, they're the smallest part of the book. Just just move along. And other dear mm -hmm. listener. I know they're great, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Those are the, I assume those are the two <laughs> listeners. Um, I love them personally because I think it really it sets a tone for the like the way that the book is supposed to be read. It's literally giving a voice to the book. Okay, so here I'm going to plant a seed. 
and we'll see if it grows. Because I feel like okay. over the years we've planted seeds and sometimes they grow. And I'm not claiming anything other than planting seeds. Can that make it into a D&D book in the future? Neil the seed planter? <laughs> Neil the seed planter. Perfect. No, you got to go with Floyd with my first name. But the idea of having those notes be audio clips that could be clicked on the digital Ooh. version. Because you already have, ha I mean, it's already getting combed through digitally to do all the, you know, all the hyperlinks, all the back and forth, you know, splitting it into its own, pay, you know, air quote pages because it's not quite the way the page structure is for the layout of the physical book. So the seed has now planted audio clips of those notes. There we go. Ooh. So that has nothing to do with anything at all that we're talking about. And there's no easy segue out of that. But is there anything else that you're currently working on? And as you well know, that you can talk about. Not, uh, unfortunately, nothing that I can currently talk about um, other than the stuff that uh, I already mentioned. Um, but like, hey, sometimes I still post on the social media site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, and that's where you'll find all me, all my announcements about the cool things that um, are coming out and me posting about like the videos I'm in and all that fun stuff. Okay, perfect. So my surprise question is because I've been watching yes. all the YouTube videos coming straight out of D and D. Is or do you work in a like a, a named section? Because it felt like that it was this transition into like different areas of the office, like being Ravenloft or the Feywild. So my surprise question is, do you work in a named section? And I suppose, hearkening to question number two, if so, can you say what named section that is? Oh, okay. So our our office is broken into different neighborhoods. And so all the different neighborhoods have names. You're probably why in the background of the videos, you'll see things like Feywild or Ravenloft and stuff like that, uh, which does make saying like, oh, yeah, no, today I'm working in Ravenloft. It's a harrowing place to like work. But, you know, uh, <laughs> you don't want to exactly work in a domain of dread. But, you know, the, the actual neighborhood in the office is not bad. Um, I don't actually have a... I, I guess the best way to say it is I, I plane hop. Nice. Um, I plane hop between neighborhoods because I am someone who very much, like, I can work at a desk. I prefer not to. I prefer, like, sitting on the couch or, like, sitting, like, at a big, wide, like, coffee table-esque thing with, like, books mm -hmm. and, like, my laptop out. Uh, and those places are normally not attached to any of our neighborhoods. They're kind of sitting in the in-between. Okay. Uh, so, like, one day I'll be, like, adjacent to the Feywild. I'll be next to Ravenloft. Sometimes I'll be in the kitchen, which doesn't have a neighborhood. It's just the kitchen dimension. Nice. I think I've passed through Baldur's Gate a couple of times. We've done some filming in Baldur's Gate, uh, which is very fun. There is a room that I've passed by that is just Jonathan's Nest, uh, which I think is... I haven't worked in there yet, but it makes me laugh every time because every time we walk by, there's this massive art of just Jonathan from the D&D movie on oh, the wall. Nice. And it makes okay. me so happy. And I have to stop myself from going Jonathan every time I walk by. So uh, I, I definitely I plane shift a whole bunch around the office because we got lots of comfy chairs and we have lots of little trinkets. And it's always fun to see like what uh, if if Dritzt or Themberchad or, or the Mimic is going to overlook my work for the day. Oh, that's so good. I am pleased with my, my question and the answer immediately. And I also have never realized how much I feel the same way. Like if I sit at a desk 
for too long, my product, my productivity just gets hurt. I just got to, oh, yeah. I can get up and I can reset and I can come sit back down and we're good. But if I just mm-hmm. stay there thinking, just staying nose to the grindstone, it's not a good call for yeah. me. I am a very, I guess the best way to put it is I'm a very like mobile thinker. So I do my best work when I'm like pacing mm-hmm. or like, you know, like I have to be like in, in motion in order to like really get the brain turning. So it's really hard for me to just sit still at a desk and like type away. Uh, and so being able to like sit, I have like, I have my armchairs off of my chair so I can like scrunch up my knees and sit yep. like in different ways. I have like monitors because my eyesight is garbage. And so I need help. I need like the big, big print stuff to help read all the words I'm writing. But like when it actually comes to like ideating and going through mechanics and trying to solve like different game design issues that might come up or different like narrative things or even just like brainstorming an adventure, I'll typically like stand up and walk around or like I'll pace in circles or I'll just like kind of fiddle uh, or or something in order to kind of get that brain juice flowing. Uh, and then I'll return to wherever I've thrown my laptop nearby um, to jot it all down. So I that de- desk work is so like just like in the the most basic of terms of desk work where you're sitting at the desk typing away it's so unproductive for me because i feel like the the overwhelming pressure to sit still and type overshadows any like sense of i what i'm actually writing because i'm just feeling like i'm being watched and i have to sit here and be still and be productive uh and then i can't do anything i'm with you i get it chris is currently hardwiring his Laptop in because he was having Wi-Fi issues. Also, the video, not that we put the video out of these episodes, but it would be a very funny video if we did put out this video. You just see him like working, running a wire in his basement. <laughs> oh, and the, the pitch black that's behind the murder door. Oh, yeah, but it's okay. There's a sign that oh, there says love. There's a sign that says love. So I think okay. we'll be okay. Well, yeah, we might be okay. Well, that's perfect, and we are going to jump right into the conversation. I realize that this first question is far too open-ended, so feel free to touch on whatever aspect you want. But, like, the deck has been around, like, it's literally the first chapter in the book, and as many listeners will know, the deck has been around for basically as long as Dungeons & Dragons. It came out with the first Greyhawk supplement back 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 in the day there have been different versions different flavors different reasons why it exists and it has been in fifth edition but certainly not like its current form so i the very open and far too open question of so what's new with the deck oh there's so much <laughs> uh so the the deck has gotten not necessarily a makeover because like nothing like internally has changed but it's gotten it's gotten like uplifted. It's been really raised to its super iconic status. Uh, we really wanted to just kind of honor how beloved, infamous. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And infamous, yes. beloved and infamous, the deck is. And we wanted to go all out with celebrating this amazing, infamous magic item. Uh, so, with the deck specifically, in addition to, uh, we have some wonderful, wonderful art uh, with all the cards, which I cannot wait for people to see. There is a uh, a couple of the card names have changed, uh, just to help make things a little bit clearer about what each card kind of does. The art has been beautifully refreshed and is beautifully decorated in a bunch of me- metallic foil, which is so pretty. 
There is now a a book that teaches you how to read the cards as like a tarot or an oracle spread. Or even you can use the deck of many things to help procedurally or, or randomly generate an adventure, which is super fun. And then my favorite part is that we have made the deck of many more things, uh, which is an expansion to the original deck. Uh, that adds 44 cards to the original deck for a total of 66 cards. Uh, and each of the 44 cards also has a, a new effect to it that is on par with the original deck of many things effects. And when we say that, we mean, yes, it's on par to getting shunted off into an extra-dimensional prison. It's on par with getting uh, a fiend as your enemy. It's it's on par with like getting a sudden boost in level or getting a... a very powerful magic item we we carefully went through and made 44 new ones that are all kind of in that same realm of powerful threatening and still fun which was absolutely amazing yeah i think that's the biggest thing is that adding that in because Mm -hmm. i think it just allows for that (laughs) for more people to be loved and it it to be more infamous um because your stories then become even more varied Oh, yeah. Because uh, a lot of, I mean, I, I have anecdotes of using it and having it used. I don't know. I've put it on the table from both sides of the screen. But the, yeah, the idea that you could then have two people have stories to say, especially new stories, I think is one yeah. of the more, more interesting, compelling things to say. Okay, so what happened with you and the deck? And you're like, oh, I pulled this card. And it's like, I've, I've never even heard of that card. What happened? And yep. You just, and then you just, I think that's called shared trauma, probably for the most part, when you're playing <laughs> at that level of excitement and you've, you've both want to tell your stories about having yeah. used the deck of many things. Yeah. The other, the other fun thing is that you don't have to, we're very explicit in the upcoming or in the book that like, you don't have to put all 66 or even all 22 cards into a single deck you can prune it and organize it so like if you as the dm are like god i don't want to have to deal with what happens if one of my character's souls get punted off into the void you can just take that card out no one's gonna get mad at you uh you can replace it with something else Uh, if you wanted to have if you have like a very role-playing heavy focused group you can have lots of cards that are like the flames where it's the fiend is your enemy or the rogue where an npc turns into your enemy you can have a lot more of those social ones we have many wonderful social ones in the uh the deck of many more things uh my personal favorite if you pull this card a dragon egg appears in front of you it immediately hatches the dragon nothing sure it's parent that would be fun that would be right here the dragon card The, the dragon card it's just one of the things where it's like some some groups are going to absolutely love the the ability of like oh god I have to take care of a child now panic of having to raise a dragon wormling you can also like if your your group is really fighty you can just like prune the deck to be like okay it summons a ton of monsters have fun yeah like the skull right like having having your I mean essentially a shadowy assassin yep. show up and like if you lose you're still here. But it's not the end of all things. Yep. Or I think some of the other ones are like the ooze card, which means as soon as you pull it, a gelatinous cube like falls from the sky and engulfs you. <laughs> Just boom. Oh, that's that's the best one. But so, Chris, you hit on something. And I think it's so we're kind of transitioning into our, our other question of how do you introduce the deck to the world? It, it, there's a lot of ways because there's nothing stopping you from introducing a card from the deck as you're introduced introduction to the deck itself now that said i have a player and 
Dear player, I know you want to live forever, and if you continue to listen to this, shame. Shame on you. Please <laughs> please go away and come back You later. mean you have one of those, too, that listens to your podcast? Yeah, I have, I have several. So then and you the real, can't talk about the things you really want to? The real problem is if one listens and then tells the other. That's the actual problem. But the idea that kind of the story behind those additional cards are basically card creators. Someone mm-hmm. that has invested so much magical power, prowess, and everything like that, that they have become, <laughs> that they have embraced the heart of the cards, the Yu-Gi-Oh reference. Oh, but gosh. the idea that <laughs> um, that they, then they basically enter this like secret society of card creators mm-hmm. and have then essentially become immortal because you've in some ways spread your essence across the multiverse whenever these cards pop, pop up. Is, is how I read it. So yeah. I, I have a sneaking suspicion of where I may be pushing one of my players to go. Uh, instead, of, instead of Lichdom, I feel like Ooh, becoming card a card creator, creator. Oh, is, a really, is a really interesting way. Because they didn't necessarily want to go full Lich. And with the, the potential evil side of that, and there's ways to kind of get around that and lock in the personality you have. And maybe it's not as evil. Yeah. But the idea to then kind of usher them in to this method of Mm -hmm. living seems so much more fun because then I also get to have that conversation of them creating a card and then introducing the deck with that card in it. They could could make like one card to rule them all or something. Well, Post Malone already has that. (laughs) Oh, okay. okay, okay. (laughs) He paid $2.6 million. Uh, Oh my gosh. It's a very pretty card, but like, damn. Yeah, for sure. It's a really fun idea of like, yeah, yeah, thinking about having this secret society of people that like you might not be able to like pick them off the street, right? Like there's plenty of people that are millionaires and billionaires that you would never know in this world. You They could just walk down the street and you'd never know. Mm-hmm. And like you could literally pass by somebody who's a card creator who's just like wreaked havoc or yeah. just created insanity in the world, right? And you just never know that they were the person that that did it, you know? It would just be so much fun to just be like, yeah, I, I made a really powerful, amazing like card to an addition to an absolutely legendary magic item. I'm going to go get magical Starbucks now. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> or go hang out with all my magic friends. And I'm going to go. Come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, off air, I'm going to go. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. It, so it's fun. like it's one of those things where it's like it feels like to me it's one of those things where it's like even like because like with with lichdom, like the temperament of a lich is kind of not necessarily set in stone, but it's always assumed. You always kind of assume, mm-hmm. OK, the lich is is going to be on the more evil side and it's also going to have the undeath thing going on. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of assumptions and core things there, but with like the, the idea of the card collectors or the card creators, anyone with enough sufficient magical power can create a card in the deck the deck does not discriminate between absolutely chaotic destructive cards and really helpful cards and so there could be this weird myriad of people that are all united by one thing and would not otherwise ever talk to each other or ever like interact with each other but they're all kind of bound to the same magic item uh and this idea that it's like a, a, a like a like a secret society and eventually at some point like all of them will get called together to have to work together to fix something or something like that. And I was like, I would, I hate that person and I would never work with them. However, we are technically on the same team in this and we are united on this, this, uh, this front here. And it'd be so cool. Yeah. It's like this card creating society. Like they all know that they have to come together and there's like a balance that's needed because you don't want a completely evil deck, right? You don't want a nope. completely good deck or chaotic deck. But like whenever somebody joins, like there's another person of the opposite side that has to join. And so it could be like, your buddy is 
getting into creating cards that do that, but they're just like lesser powerful. Like you just create a way for them to create like lesser powerful cards. And it's almost like the dark brotherhood, like in Skyrim, when you like, you have just have to like kill an innocent person and the dark brotherhood like shows up to you. Right. Like, or was that oblivion? I think it was oblivion. You had to do it. That was the way that it, anyways, they know that you're like making magic cards. They can just sense. And it's like, they know whether you're the good one or the bad one. And you bring balance to the, you know, the card creating guild could be really fun. I mean, even thinking through the idea of like, what if I introduce this not like as the true end cap, but before then, and then they enter the society and they find that like the next meeting they go to, someone doesn't show up. And the only way that that could be is that someone destroyed, permanently destroyed the card, the main card that they introduced. And so then you can go the road of like um, uh, Gore, the God Butcher, which Mm -hmm. is that, uh, I only thought of the comics. I did not think of the movie. Uh, The comic run is is a beautiful thing to read. Uh, The movie is sometimes tough to watch. But but like having that storyline be like their kind of like high level tier of play. Um, and trying to figure out and then, you know, each of the people are going back to their own resources to go to figure it out. And this player is coming back to the party to say, hey, we have a huge problem because it could even be like an order of chaos that is choosing to delete, if you will, all the air quote good cards. And the same could be a problem. Like it could be an order of law that's gone too far one direction and they're deleting air quote all the bad cards. Um, But it's like, well, that's not this breaks either direction. Like if we go too hard one way or the other and you only have those um, like, you know, from like a like a multiverse level, like that's going to break what's happening. Yeah, it was something that we really wanted to like hone in on, I think, when we were because because the the new book does have a new kind of quote unquote origin uh, story for the deck. Uh, because we wanted to have a new story that kind of reflects how the deck presents itself in 5th edition. Um, and so when we were creating that story, uh, we definitely wanted to kind of embrace that idea of it's not good or bad. There is an equal amount of good or bad and neutral in the deck. It is mostly just a turn of fate and how you interpret that turn of fate and how you make it your own. That's the core of it. That's what makes the 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 deck itself is not an item with morality. It is how you react to the circumstances that are presented to you by the deck. Uh, Or even if you decide to pull from the deck or not to try and change around your circumstances. That kind of determines how how you are and who you are. Well, the other one that I thought of, and I I double-checked. It doesn't speak to it as as directly, but the idea of almost kind of pulling from like the Baldur's Gate 3 where everyone that has, you know, it's got a tadpole in their brain, recognizes everyone else that has a tadpole in their brain. Mm-hmm. But the idea of basically having people that have used the deck and recognize each other, because you have the two backgrounds of rewarded and ruined. Yep. Like what if you're just walking down the street and you just, you know, you feel that mental pulse of like, ah, wait a minute. Like a oh, sense of some hold kind on. Or something. Yeah. 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 And being oh, able that'd to like be so cool. connect with people that in realizing or just, you know, like recognizing an aura and even maybe recognizing as far as telling whether or not they've been rewarded or ruined. But the idea of anyone that has interacted with a deck, you can recognize as someone that has also done that. Um, but then each person having that recognition in the other. Absolutely amazing campaign idea that I cannot run because I already have too many campaigns, but the idea (laughs) that you have a campaign and it's an adventuring party and each player character has drawn a card from the deck at one point. And so that's how they all kind of come together. But like all every character, like every player gets to decide which card did your character draw and what happened. 
And it's like, I know, I know there are some folks who'll be like, oh, well, then everyone's going to choose like a good card. I'm like, you'd, you'd be surprised. You give players the tools to be like, no, 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 I can cause my character harm and tragedy. Give me, give me all the things. Mm-hmm. Or you, yeah, you could have them draw as your character creation. Like you could have them draw an actual card and yeah. build their character around. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so you can, yeah, you can, you can you can obviously take out the ones that's like your soul is ripped into oblivion. It's like, well, that, or I mean, you could keep it or like you could a hundred percent keep it yeah, as like, you true. are someone who is actively like, yeah, my soul is gone. I don't know where it went. Like I'm still here. I'm just kind of stuck. Yeah, uh, and right. like, uh, like my immediate thought for that character is this very like tuck everlasting kind of deal where it's like, you get your soul taken out of you. You're still living and you cannot die until that soul comes back. So you're just stuck perpetually. And it's been like centuries. And you know, like you've watched everyone, your family, everyone has grown up and moved on with your lives. And you are stuck exactly where you are uh, because your soul is gone. And p- part of your personal quest is trying to go and find it. The other method, and we're, this is kind of getting into, I, I like how I, I did not realize it how I framed it. The best and worst stories of using the deck at our tables is kind of the third topic. So in that regard, as a player, I pulled three cards from the deck. Mm -hmm. I got a magic item. I got sent to the void and then I had a wish. And so knowing how a dungeon master is, because I had already been running games for a while. If you want out on that wish, you got to give, you got to give and take. So Mm -hmm. I said, I would like everyone that's currently trapped in, because they decided for the void, I was trapped in like the astral plane. I said, I want everyone that is in the astral plane trapped right now to be freed. And they know I did it. That's my wish. And they were like, okie doke. Everyone's free, including you. And they all know you did it. And I said, you bet. Okay. Well, Gosh, there's probably some terrible people that came back, man. But do but at the same but in the same way, are they frustrated with me or are they pleased? Will they give you a pass if you ever run into them? Exactly. So I was just like, here's a mountain of possibility. Please let my soul be free. And the dungeon master said, happily, I accept this offer. And then he had to come up with a hundred people who were trapped in the astral or the astral sea. But the idea that the the person like maybe that's their story is like they were just trapped for hundreds and hundreds of years and then suddenly they were free and they know who did it. Yep. And so it was their quest ultimately to go thank that person or mm-hmm. do something along those lines. So yeah, I think Oh pulling, yeah, that'd be so much fun. Pulling as your backstory, you know, having everyone being rewarded or ruined, pulling those cards and then saying like, okay, but what is my life like now? Because even the good cards don't have to be good, you know, all of those terrible stories about people that you know win the lottery and it just kind of their life falls apart because that's it's a lot of it's a lot to deal with the same could happen with all of a sudden you come into this infinite wealth um and like who's trying to take it from you or do you are you not able to manage that or deal with the all the things that come with it so you know even even air quote and that's why i call them air quote good cards and air quote bad cards because depending on your how your character interacts with them is really um, what dictates whether or not it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. So does anyone else have fun stories about having the deck used at their table uh, from either side of the screen? Of course. I saw this in the outline and I feel so much shame for never having used the deck of many things before, but, but because this episode will come out after my players play, they play tonight. So this will not okay. be edited and out before that. Uh, they are coming upon they're trying to gather allies from around the world for a for a war that they're about to enter into. 
and they decided that they were going to try and recruit, defeat, spare the life of, and recruit a white dragon uh, in the northern isles of the world. Yep, that's what they decided they wanted to do. And so that's a choice. That's a choice. And tough choice. Tough choice. Yep. Yep. So that's what they're going to do. And I think one of the things that's going to be in the horde as they search through, if they search hard enough, is a deck of many things of some kind. It'll be really interesting. Yay. The first time I've ever, ever put it could derail the entire rest of the campaign or it'd be great. Either way, it's fine. So one of the tips and oh, no. Okay. So I'll quick tip. One of the tips is not to have an immediate culmination of what the right. card is. Yep. Um, and I think that's like, I had never, I had, it's, I feel ridiculous for never having thought of it, but until I, re- I read through, it was like, oh, that makes sense. It, essentially the card itself is changing the fate, you know, you know, reweaving, you know, reweaving f- the fate for this character. It doesn't, of course it doesn't have to happen immediately. That's, um, but the other good note is that even if you don't have it happen immediately, having it happen soon, that way you you, you don't feel kind of cheated out of, oh, I, I pulled the card, but now we're, you know, six months down the road and I haven't had my card do anything. So those are kind of the the, the two counterpoints to that. But Mackenzie, any yes. any fun deck of many things stories? So I have yet to have the deck in one of my games as a DM. I'm, I'm waiting for the right moment to introduce it. Um, most of my the campaigns I'm running are very, I don't want to say like tight narratives, but I haven't found a place where it makes sense to introduce the deck uh, in a way that seems seamless and not just me as a DM going, <laughs> I want to play with this. Please play with it with me, <laughs> uh, which is also totally valid. I just it's not it doesn't work with the flow of my game. Yeah. But uh, I did as a player on my very first encounter with the deck of many things. I did not know what the deck of many things was. Oh, no. So I this was actually live streamed. So there is somewhere exists on the Internet somewhere. You can actually see Mackenzie's baby's first interaction with the deck of many things and me approaching the deck and saying, I don't know, I'll draw three cards. This will be fine. Uh, I got super lucky, though, because I remember the cards I drew. It was the rogue, which would have probably mattered more if it wasn't for the fact that it was like the penultimate or ultimate game. So of the campaign, so it's like, okay, this doesn't really have an impact. Uh, then I got the gem, and then I got, uh, so I got a bunch of money, uh, and then I got the key, and I was a ranger, uh, so I got an oath bow. Nice. Which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. like, a level seven ranger with an oath bow absolutely kicked butt in the final encounter, and it was amazing. And it was one of those things where it was, like, my character at the time when, like, she had drawn from the deck, she was kind of, like, down on her luck, kind of, like, having that existential ennui of where is my place in the world what am i supposed to be doing i don't really know uh and so that's kind of why she was like sure i know things will happen but i don't know what exactly i'll I'll draw three cards whatever and then like literally like giving the chance to the fates to screw over and fate went no we're not actually going to do that you deserve better than that uh like really inspired her uh, and it inspired her so much that in like the final encounter, she who's not she's not a, she was not a very charismatic person, but she somehow manages to convince like one of the enemies to come uh like onto her, onto their side, which helped turn the tide of the final battle, which was amazing and super fun. All of that in like the last two sessions of the game. That's crazy. Yep. It was it was amazing. It was one of those things where it's like 
the the actual like mechanical impact of the card didn't matter so much as like the narrative impact did on my character because my character like even though I wasn't sure what quite the deck of many things was I had like an inkling of what it was and so I kind of knew like something bad might happen I think the only card that I knew of was like the void so I was like all right I'm risking some stuff oh well it's fine We'll figure but it then out. Neil's my, character yeah. will just wish you out of the void. And yeah. You'll, owe, you'll I'll just owe come his back. character the, your entire life. Yeah. I have a tendency to yeah. pull the void all the time because that's not the only void story I have because apparently I'm destined. Um, we were playing at a catacon and John Arcadian was putting on like a high end Tarasque battle. Like, yeah. you know, yes. like you're 20. Yeah, yeah. I've notched this thing up several times. You know, number one, give it a range weapon. Um, certain things. And so I was playing a dwarf and I had a, basically he let you choose a couple of magic items and I chose the cloak of the mountainback and I chose the deck of many things cause I couldn't really decide. My character was so straightforward. I like, I go in and I do damage. Um, so like magic items like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. That'll be funny. This is a one shot. So we go, we fight at someone, at some point, someone does reverse gravity and then I'm inside of it trying to do as much damage internally as I can. It dies. I pop out. And in the reverse gravity, as the session is ending, I'm like, well, I have these cards. And I wonder what they do. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just like floating upside down in reverse gravity. And I pull the void. And one of the things about the void, I think it says that and there's a guardian. And so basically my soul gets trapped in the manacles that were holding the Tarrasque and we both teleport away. And the guardian of my soul is now an undead Tarrasque that we have ah. to fight, that we had to fight the next year. Wow. Beautiful. That's... Oh, that's so and much for fun. An, yeah. For a gaming convention, that's a really cool thing because then you have like all the players that were at that table that want to come back next year yep. to find out what happens. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, great great for a one-shot because that's, you know, if, if it does or doesn't break it, then mm -hmm. okay, it's totally fine. It's, yeah. it's, it's broken at the end of this session and maybe we'll play again and maybe we won't. One-shots are almost always made to be broken. Like, th th there's a plan, sure, but also it's like a two to three hour session. Throw caution to the wind, do whatever, just have fun. Uh, also, cycling back, you did say give a Tarrasque a, a ranged weapon, and I just need you to know my first thought was big Tarrasque tying the arms with gun. Yeah, that's what those little arms are for. Little, little gun. Two hand crossbows. <laughs> my mind did not go there. It went to the uh, show, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, and it was, <laughs> If You Give a Tarrasque a ranged weapon. That's Because <laughs> I, have, I have little kids, so that's where my mind goes. <laughs> what a hilarious book that would be. <laughs> if just you give a Tarrasque like a gun. <laughs> Um, I don't think I have other other truly terrifying stories. I assume I've pulled the void other times, but I can't remember. I have I have one more story, uh, and it was mostly um, it, it's not me. It was I was I so I this actually happened like last week, a couple weeks ago. This is real recent. Uh, I'm I'm guessing in my friend's campaign, uh, and my friend who is a, a wonderful DM has created they have the deck of many things in in their game uh, and he has also decided that the deck of many things in his world has a curse so that way once you see it if you think about it it just kind of shows up in your pocket oh that's like the lo that's losing the ultimate game which i just made many of our listeners lose but that's like the oh that's the worst yeah, or it's it's something along those lines. I'm sure he has much more specifics about it, but the general gist of it is like if you're feeling down on your luck or you're thinking about the deck, it'll show up. So that way you're even more tempted to pull a card. And we just had a wedding episode. Uh and the deck showed up. 
And so uh, we definitely had the Avatar of Death crash the wedding. Whoa. We had the Avatar of Death crash the wedding. Like, I think it was right before the rehearsal or the, right before the rehearsal or something. But the Avatar, someone just pulled the card uh, and then the Avatar of Death showed up. And like, because you're not supposed to intervene, it was one of these issues of like, oh, God, this is a wedding where we have a bunch of adventurers whose first instinct is to help. We have to stop people from helping. <laughs> Don't touch the, don't touch it, don't touch it. No, it's fine. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, and then the same character pulled uh, a couple other cards. Uh, and then we had an assassin show up. Uh, and also that character did get spirited off to the donjon. So after the wedding, we had to do a mini dungeon crawl to go get them back. Because, like, it was a noble wedding. And it would be really, like, bad social faux pas to have, like, a, a guest disappear in the middle of a high-profile noble wedding. So we had to get them back and then have, like, second wedding to make up for the fact that they missed the ceremony. Uh, and then Which, that was crashed yeah. by the assassin that was brought about by the rogue card. And it was just, it was chaos in the most beautiful way. I just, I just imagine there had to be, like, one super drunk wedding member that, like, thought of the deck at that point in time and... <laughs> it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't drunk. It was, it was a tabaxi who may or may not have been on some catnip. Ah, well... You know what would be so, hilarious right now? What if the deck... <laughs> dang it. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was a wonderfully, uh, wonder, uh, wonderful, and I guess it's one of the things where it's like, even if you don't draw from the deck, it's so much fun as a player to watch other people draw from the deck, even if you know this is gonna mess things up. Uh, it was a very wonderfully inebriated tabaxi on catnip who got lost on the way to the wedding wedding rehearsal uh, and was despairing. And so the deck showed up and the tabaxi thought the deck might show him the way to the wedding. And then it yeeted them into the dungeon. So, you know. I either have the best wedding gift for you or the worst wedding gift for you. But you have to draw a card. You can either be filthy rich or dead. Two options. <laughs> okay, I have I have an idea for what the homework is. And the homework is each of us pulling a card. Okay. Oh my gosh, I love it. Cool. So I've so I've got the I've got the D one hundred. So I I have the deck of many more things. I have the D one hundred here in front of me. Um. So basically, roll anything sixty seven to one hundred is a roll again. Let me let me grab a D one hundred. Yeah. Oh, do I have? Ah, oh, jeez. The only dice I have are metal dice, so it should be loud. So God, I can only find the tens on my percentile dice. Where are my Where are my ones? I feel like I only find one or the other. It's either all ones or all tens. I can never easily find. This is the set I got to celebrate when Call of the Netherdeep released. Nice. I have I have a set for every every time a book uh, that I work on or a project I work on comes out, I get a set of dice to commemorate it. That um, is awesome. Which is how I curb my dice buying habit. Uh, unfortunately, not unfortunately, I'm very happy with all the products I, and, and books I write. Like that, that's not the problem. The problem is, is I'm starting, I'm, I'm starting to run out of space in the bag. So I might need to get a new bag. <laughs> yeah, I was saying. Solution. Yep. That's, that's the reward for the next time is getting yeah. another bag. New bag. And a set of dice. Alrighty, let's go. All right. That is a 91. So that is a that's re-roll. a re-roll. Okay. What do you have? I got a 22. A 22 would give you... The Flames card. Woo! That's a classic. Uh, that is uh, that is the one that uh, I know. Uh, I, that is the one where you get the enmity of a, a fiend. So, and it, 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 is it a devil? Is it a demon? Is it a Yugoloth? You don't know. It's just it's gonna it's gonna hate you now. So that's that's a, oh, that'll yes. be fun to look forward. to. Is it to a small me. little imp? Who knows? Yeah, the devil seeks to ruin and pl ruin and plagues your life, savoring your suffering before attempting to slay you. 
The enmity lasts until either you or the devil dies. Yikes. Yikes. That's good. This is fun. This is fine. This is fine. Uh, Yeah. But it's one of those ones where, I mean, you've already got built in, like a built in arc, because some of them are so immediate, but this one is anything. It could be, because in essence, that same creature could be leveling up with you, constantly doing things, but then getting stronger as you get stronger. Uh, Oh, I like that one. Chris, what did you roll? I got 60. You, sir. (laughs) I'm sure this is fine. It's called the tomb card. I'm sure that it's going to be super great and you're not going to be disappointed. At any time you choose within one year of drawing this card, you can cast the true resurrection spell once without expending a slot or requiring material components. You use your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma as a spellcasting ability. It is actually very good. That's a great card. I love that. I've now become everyone's best friend. Yep. And or I just have people that do really dumb things around me now. Well, you can once within a year, but the but see, this is the best thing about it is you can twist that either direction. If that's a known quantity that you have that, the number of people that could want to seek you out to obtain that can also be a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Or I could become, I could accept really powerful bribes from people. To try and say, hey, there's no guarantee that I could use this on you, but just give me your best offer. Then you go the way of the highest bidder. I like it. Yeah, I don't know. This sounds like a and d game for me. Yes, I have pulled the priest card where my wisdom score is increased by two to a maximum of 22. Ooh, that one's fun. What it, and I like making that like that longer, but like knowing that that's. See, this is an interesting one that has what could easily be a really immediate effect, but the idea of planting that seed that the player is knowing that they're going to become more wise, do they then enact as much as they can to gain the wisdom to try and hit that 22? What if they're not at 20 right now, but they know that this loose wisdom is on its way? Are they already then investing further into it? Or how do they become wise? Do they get stuck in... Some, you know, demiplane where they learn all these new interesting things for a hundred years in their mind and then come back. Like It's like how wisdom often like sometimes wisdom can come from benign sources, but I have found that wisdom often comes from the most challenging points in your life. So it's like, oh, great, I'm going to become more wise. Oh, no, what's going to oh, happen no. what does to this me? mean to me? Oh, oh cool. no, trauma. Yeah, yeah there's a price <laughs> that they, for this. Yay. Well, I think we've done it. We've we've pulled some cards. I think we've given some good ideas. And that's to say that we have barely, barely scratched the surface. Because the other thing about this book is that it harkens back to a lot of the other ways that the deck has been introduced or through, you know, official printed material. Like just having an entire dungeon where every room, the door is a card. Yeah. So the only way to get through the whole dungeon is to know that you're going to pull the card. And oh. that's the key. Is you know what card you're going to pull, and you know you had like, so this is going to happen when I do this, and then uh, dealing with it, uh, because then you kind of like, who do you decide gets to pull the void? Uh, me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> please, please me. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things. So the most important question we have though is where can people go to see all of uh, other than their bookshelf uh, and opening all of the amazing books you've helped write? But where can people go to keep track of all the awesome things you're doing? 
Um, yeah, so I am all over uh, the internet. Uh, you can see me. I, I pop in and out of videos over on the D&D channel over on YouTube. If folks want to check that out, I'll talk about, sometimes I'll talk about design things. Sometimes I'll talk about monsters I use in my campaigns. And sometimes I'll talk about really cursed stuff. Uh, we have one coming up for the holiday season where, I, where I'm going to talk about what monsters I think are the tastiest. Nice. And that'll be, that is something that'll come out and Cockatrice. be be a problem at some point. <laughs> Maybe, who knows? I can't spoil that video. But uh, yes, I have those videos coming out. And then if you want to follow me over uh, on any of the social medias, you can find me. My handle everywhere is Mackenzie Lane, D-A. That is M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-D-A. Uh, I'm over on the formerly known as Twitter. I'm over on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Blue Sky, Hive, all the places with that handle. So you can check me out there. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so happy we got to spend some time and chat again. It was so good. Uh, green and the the cards willing, we'll do it again. Yes. Hey, yes, I haven't even introduced my favorite, uh, like the, one of my favorite things in this book, which is oh, the undead uh horses or horsemen of the apocalypse. You know, that that can happen. In case doesn't you, sound terrifying at yeah, all. Yeah, you're fine. Nothing it's, it's bad. Fine. Don't worry. About nah, it won't affect you. We just want to thank McKinsey again for coming on, spending some time talking the deck of many things, and basically inspiring us to have a new series of the podcast. If you want to email us about your stories, about how you've used the deck of many things for good or ill in your campaign, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, your podcatcher of choice, leave a rating and review. It is always helpful. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and hopefully wherever you want to. And if not, let us know. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network where you can check out other shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, and more. As always, we want to thank you, the listener, for coming on and listening to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm your host, DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastery. Goodbye.